0: Well, it's confession time. I have been guilty in my life of rushing things. And sometimes it's completely unnecessary. I have rushed in the car to get someplace that I didn't really want to be. I have. I have failed tests that had I just read the question, I would have been able to pass. Some of you are laughing because maybe you struggle with some of these same sorts of tendencies. I'm pushing, rushing through things. This caused me problems. Rushing through to study for something, rushing through to get to the next thing and the next thing, and it's like it never, never ends. And at some point, it's, you know, yeah, I'm young, cute and funny, but now it's starting to cost me money. When I rush things, that doesn't, doesn't really matter. And, and maybe, maybe you find yourself in agreement with some of my issues, that maybe you are someone that sometimes pushes too far, pushes too fast, kind of get ahead of yourself. What's that proverbial thing that we say? Sometimes we get so busy that we don't stop to smell the, the roses. And, and maybe you've been guilty of that. I know it's a struggle that I've had. I'm, I'm, I'm learning to slow down, uh, to be present. In fact, I, I remember even with, when my kids were younger, we would have Bible studies and things at night, and I just want to rush through it. Like, those are precious moments. If some of you have children right now, you don't get that time back. And yet, even in those moments, I found myself just this... Pressure to, to move fast, to push, getting things done. Look, getting things done, having a healthy ambition, right? Getting, getting stuff done on your to-do list. Those are good things, but sometimes if that's all we are, we can get a little bit backwards in the way we live, where we're always pushing and rushing and not actually enjoying anything. I think sometimes we, 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 get, we influence our children that way, if we're always constantly having to run, run, run. I'm Pastor Ben. I'm glad you've joined us today, whether that be online or here in purpose, or here in, in person, uh, on purpose. Yes. <laughs> glad that you've joined us today. Uh, we gather like this on Sundays, the first day of the week. It's a good time to reset maybe our clock. It's a good time to reset maybe some of the rushing around that we've done. And uh, it's also the day that Jesus Christ of Nazareth of Galilee rose from the dead and changed human history forever. And that's why we gather. Like Christ followers all over the globe, we're one big dysfunctional family of faith. You saw it coming. Let's, uh, let's pause for a, a word of prayer. And today we're going to talk about ambition. We're going to talk about a lot of things, but ambition being one of those things. Pushing, uh, trying to move too fast, uh, maybe maybe not necessarily on God's time frame. So we're going to lean into that. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 26. So if you have a Bible or device, find Matthew 26. We're going to read some into that today and hear what Matthew is putting together for us. And today is really about the plot to kill. The time frame is starting to move fast in Jesus's life here in the gospel of Matthew. So would you pause with me and let's pray. Father, we come before you in a crazy and hectic world. Uh, lot's going on. Father, we We take this time, we have prioritized this time right now to gather with your people to hear from you. Father, would your Holy Spirit move as we sing and and pray and hear your word, as we take communion here in a few moments, as we give, as we serve. Father, I pray that you would do a mighty work in us, that your Holy Spirit would enable us to work on your time frame and to let you do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. So Lord, we lean in, challenge us, encourage us, equip us to be your church, your hands and feet in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 26, if you're able to, would you stand with me as I read? Uh, It's not going to be a huge, long passage today, but some powerful things we read in just the first 16 verses of chapter 26. Let's read the word of the Lord. Starting with verse 1. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has, done, she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver, and from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You be seated. Well, there's a lot in this bit of scripture here. We see a lot of things happening. Jesus had just finished teaching his disciples. Remember, if you were with us the last several weeks, we've been going through what we call the Olive Grove Sessions. And in that, Jesus answers a couple of key questions that the disciples asked him, namely two, when will these things happen? That is, when will not one stone be left on another? They were looking at the temple at that point. Uh, And then what's the coming of the Son of Man, the end of the age? And so they asked those two questions. Remember, Jesus, in those last three sermons in the Olive Grove sessions, has been answering those two. And to the first question, he said, within a generation, which did happen historically. And to the second question, he says, nobody but the Father knows. So he's been teaching these things, and so he's kind of, at least according to Matthew's gospel, he's done teaching. And what we're going to see now is a very fast race toward the end. And Jesus, at this point, is very well aware of what's ahead for him. Time is running out, and, and the, so we get this sort of play-by-play here in, in these 16 verses. First of all, Jesus tells them, hey... Passover is going to be here in a couple days. Now, Passover was a big deal for the Jewish people. And in fact, it still is even today. Even for Orthodox Jewish folks, this is a big deal. Passover is one of the three big festivals that that basically all you know male Jewish folks were supposed to be there in Jerusalem for. So it's a big deal, and Passover is one of their sort of their identity markers. Passover, if you are familiar with the scripture, if you're not, that's okay. Passover, had, think Moses, think uh, plagues, think um, the, the Pharaoh and Moses going at it. And, and the, the Passover had to do with kind of a final plague. And for the Jewish people, it, it was an identity marker. It was the time God showed up in a big way and delivered his people out of the slavery in Egypt to start this new wonderful God-centered community called Israel. So it was a big deal for them. And it's significant that Jesus will go to the cross during this really identity marker sort of festival called Passover. One scholar had mentioned this, that uh, it commemorated this, this freedom from Egypt, God passing over the, the homes of the Hebrew people and then the judgment of that last plague would, would fall on anybody who didn't have the blood of a lamb on their doorposts. And so you had this judgment of God against Egypt and the firstborn sons of Egypt, firstborn. It was a horrible disaster, and the Pharaoh finally did let the Israelites leave, let the Hebrew people leave. And so it did, it did happen. so because of that big signature event every year, the families would gather and retell the story. And maybe, and maybe some of the kids wanted to jump in and tell their version of the story, I don't know, but they would talk about Moses and the, and the, and the plagues and Pharaoh, big bad Pharaoh, and, and how he was keeping those our ancestors enslaved. And so they would tell the story, they would reenact this, it was a big deal for them, the, the sacrifice of a lamb freeing them. And us, looking back now, it's kind of obvious of what Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, that symbolism is rich. So within a few days, Jesus is seeing what is going to take place. I'm not sure his disciples totally understood everything at this point, but he uses the phrase crucified. For 30-some years, whenever Jesus had to go back to Jerusalem for these festivals. He and all of his people were very well aware of what crucifixions were like. Before they got into the city, the insurrectionists, the tyrants, anybody Rome didn't like, would be struggling to breathe on these Roman crosses. Every year, Jesus knew exactly what was ahead. And so he told his disciples, now for the fourth time, the Son of Man is going to be crucified. Basically, I'm going to be crucified. And they would have known exactly what that sort of death was like. He tells that to them a fourth time, last time he's going to tell them. Two days before the Passover, big deal for the nation. And he's going to, in a sense, become the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. They don't know that completely yet. But Jesus knows that. And we get this sort of side note as he's telling his disciples this, and I'm sure they're kind of traumatized by what he's saying. They're trying to figure it out. This doesn't make sense. You're the Messiah. When are we we going to take care of Rome and become nation number one again? They're still wanting that. The entire Jewish leadership was thinking that's what the Messiah was about. And here he keeps talking about this crucifixion thing. So they're confused. They're wondering what's going on. Side note we get this story by Matthew of the Jewish leadership, including Caiaphas, the high priest, meeting in his home, no, slash palace. The Jewish leadership is trying to figure out how we're going to get rid of this Jesus guy. He is troublesome. People are liking what he's saying. He's going to threaten our way of life. So you get this this sort of side story going on. Meanwhile, back at the farm, they're there trying to plot this thing, but they're worried. They don't want to take Jesus during the daylight hours. Why are they worried? The People, the crowds, his fans. And so they are trying to figure out some, how are we going to do this? How are we going to find a stealth way to get Jesus away from the crowds? So that's going on. They're plotting a way to kill him undercover. And then we see the next scene. And Matthew's putting these together, I think, very intentionally. What what do we see in the next scene? This is this play-by-play, right? The next scene, we have Jesus at the home of Simon the leper, probably also related to Lazarus, Mary, Martha. In fact, we think this was Mary, actually, who does this whole anointing with very expensive perfume. So this is happening. Jesus is reclining. We often think of uh, dinner time the way we think of dinner time. Dinner time, you have a table and you have a chair and you're sitting up there and you're doing this. But in the first century, you reclined. Usually you lay to your right side or your left side. I don't know exactly all the parameters, but he would have been reclining there at the house of Simon the leper, maybe someone that he healed, likely it was someone that he healed. And and I don't think she's totally understanding what she's doing right now. Other than the fact that Jesus, when he uses the term Messiah, that means anointed one in the Greek language. So there could have been some of that, but she's anointing the anointed one. That's interesting. But it turns out it was an expensive endeavor because the scriptures tell us that depending on your English translation, it might say 300 denarii, basically think an entire year's wages dumped out on Jesus' head. How much do you make a year? Now that's exorbitant. What a waste. He's taking an entire... I don't know what the average income is right now in Dallas. When I first moved here in 07, it was like 45, 50. I'm guessing it's maybe 70. I don't even know. All of that in a jar that you dump on his head. Hmm. That's interesting. And um, his disciples aren't super excited about that. They're They're thinking, well, this is wasteful. No. Begs the question. It seems like a lot. But they're not super happy about that. And uh, then the next scene, what happens in the very next scene? Judas becomes Caiaphas and the leadership's stealthy way to get Jesus. Notice that they didn't ask him. Nobody's asking the disciples, Could you uh, betray the teacher there? I'll give you 30 bucks, whatever. Judas uh, offers his services for 30 pieces of silver. Hang on to that one. So clearly the Jewish leadership is afraid of the crowds. Jesus is pretty popular. He's gone viral. Uh, You know, people are taking selfies with him while he's walking through the crowds. And they're afraid that, well, if we take him during the day, maybe people are going to be upset about that. Now, why is that a problem? Well, Jerusalem, maybe 50,000, 60,000 people normally, when these festivals happen two or three times a year, that population would swell to almost a quarter of a million. There's also an occupying army there. Who's the occupying army? Rome, and they're roaming around. And one thing that the Romans don't like is chaos. The Romans are important in this whole story, but they are worried that if they try to nab Jesus during the day, it's gonna get ugly, people are gonna shout, and they're gonna basically create some chaos. And they were worried about the Roman government jumping in and causing problems. So they're worried about attracting the Roman military. Now they're worried about it. In a few days, they're gonna be very happy to have Rome involved. Because the Jewish people and Jewish leadership did not have jurisdiction enough, didn't have the authority to do a capital punishment. But Rome does. So in one sense, they don't wanna upset the Roman military, Two days later, they're happy to have the involvement of the Roman Empire to take care of Jesus and crucify him. Convenient, right? And Jesus is betrayed by Judas for 30 shekels of silver. There's a lot of humanity in this 16 verses. A lot of Emotion, there's a lot of drama. Who are you in this story? Are you, I don't know, one of the 12 that is scratching your head, wondering why he keeps talking about a punishment, a capital punishment that is only given by the Roman government for those worst of the worst? Why does he keep using that term? Maybe you're one of the disciples trying to figure this thing out. It doesn't make sense to you. And you might be wondering, how come we're still dealing with Rome anyway? Aren't you the Messiah? Aren't you supposed to take care of this for us so that we go back to first nation status again? Israel rises from the ashes. Isn't that what Messiah is supposed to do? Maybe you're one of those disciples trying to figure this out. Maybe, maybe Maybe you're Judas. And Jesus' time frame isn't quite working for you. He's not moving fast enough. He keeps hanging out with people that are unclean. He's not dealing with the Roman government. He he keeps healing people that really can't really fund the ministry. Are you a bean counter? Wondering why this extravagance? Why is this happening? Who are you? My point is, who are you in this story? And, And maybe... Maybe you're one of the Jewish leadership, and you want comfort. And whenever there's a threat to comfort, we got to take care of that threat. My goal is to step on everybody's toes today, so you're welcome. We're all here in these 16 verses. We're all here. Who are you? Maybe, Maybe you're that person who's never even invited to Simon the leper's house. And you barge in because you're so convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, you're willing to dump 60 grand over his head. Maybe you're, you're that person. You're that person who wasn't even invited, but none of those other dudes in the room are ever mentioned, but she is. Every time the gospel goes out, she's always mentioned. Now, Matthew doesn't name her, but I think John's gospel names her as Mary. Who are you in this story? Who are you? So much to see here. I mean, Judas, right? Let's come back to Judas for a second. There's greed going on probably with Judas, but I just wonder if there's more to the story. We give Judas such a bad rap, but Judas is probably speaking for all the 12 and the Jewish leadership who is frustrated that this itinerant rabbi preacher has gotten all this fame and he's claiming to be a Messiah but he sure ain't doing stuff that Messiah should do. Why are we still bowing to the Roman Empire? I think there's some of all of us in these characters. I mean, think about this. You have in this 16 verses, you have extremes of humanity. You have extravagance. Right? That is just crazy extravagant. Imagine you doing that. I mean, some of you are retired. Some of you are on fixed income. But whether you're retired or still working, a year's wages, that is something. Think of all you could buy with a year's wages. That's exactly what the disciples are thinking. Especially Judas. And we find out in John's Gospel, a little backstory to Judas, that he... uh, was put in charge of the funds for the ministry of Jesus, you know, the the, the world tour of Jesus of Nazareth. He was ahead of the accounting, and he was doing some creative accounting way before Enron. He was helping himself to some of the stuff. But also, let's get this going, Jesus. Come on. You can walk on water. Why are we still paying taxes to Caesar? You see the, the tension going on here. There's humanity. You have extravagance on the one side, and then you have greed on the other side. Extravagance and right alongside that greed. I think we've, we've felt both of those maybe this week. These are, these are the, the, the battles that humanity, we face. Lord, have mercy on us. Extravagance and greed. We have beauty. I mean, this beautiful this display of extravagance. We have this beauty right next to betrayal. One of his friends rats him out for 30 pieces of silver. What's interesting is 30 pieces of silver, that would have been like four months wages. And she did 12 months' wages for that expensive perfume. I mean, can you even fathom spending that much money on cologne? I don't know what the most expensive perfume is right now. It's probably not 60 grand a bottle. And she's doing that. You have beauty, something beautiful. In fact, Jesus even says she's done something beautiful. I don't even think that she got it. Other than, yeah, it's anointed. She's anointed. Uh, She's anointing the anointed one. I get that. But Jesus takes it farther to something that she doesn't even understand. She's anointed me not just for my anointing bit, but for my burial. She, She didn't even know. So how much more beautiful is that? She does this, and two days later, she's going to know real well what happened. That She'll go, oh, my goodness. I was anointing him not just because of his status as Messiah. He's going to be in the grave. Beauty, such beauty is my point, right next to betrayal. That Judas, for whatever reason, he's angry, he's greedy, he's frustrated. Jesus isn't moving fast enough for him. Come on, Jesus, rush, rush, rush let's get this thing going. And he goes off right away and betrays him. And then you have friendship, this, this sense of friendship, but also ambition. But yes, he had his friends there with him around the table, but even then there's this ambition. He wasn't moving fast enough. Mary anoints him as Messiah and also for his burial in just a few days. There's there's so much symbolism in all of this. Sometimes we read over it and miss some of the symbolism, but Passover. Here's the blood of the lamb. I mean, It's all clicking later, right? These these writers wrote all this down later and put them in order, and they were like, oh, there's all this stuff happening. Why didn't we see it when we were there? we We remember now. This was all happening. And this gal is mentioned every time the gospel goes out. This act of extravagance, friendship, ambition, beauty and betrayal, extravagance and greed. This is the human condition. All right here. Judas sells them out for 30 pieces of silver. Scholars are kind of torn on exactly some of the significance of 30 pieces of silver. Maybe you've thought about it as well. If you've heard this story before, you may wonder, is there something about 30? Yeah. 30 shekels, 30 pieces of silver. I couldn't really get a lot of consensus. There is, there is a passage in Exodus that talks about the price of a servant or a slave is 30 shekels, or 30 pieces of silver. So there may be some significance there. I couldn't quite put it all together. I mean, the difference, too, with you know a whole year's wages dumped out over his head, and then him getting like four months' wages to betray him. There may be some things there. You'll have to look it up. That's, that's your job. You, you see if you can find that. Send me an email, something like that. But this idea of the humanity involved. And then Judas. It wasn't a rando. It was one of his 12. If it had been a random person, maybe it didn't hurt as much. This isn't a rando. It's Judas. Jesus handpicked this guy. He's a friend. Three years. Judas has watched him walk on water. Create food from nothing. Raised the dead. Judas isn't a rando. He's a friend. It just makes the betrayal so much more hurtful. And, and he goes and, and, and seeks out the Jewish leadership. He offers the solution that they were looking for. This stealth, let's get him arrested solution. He offers it. Nobody asks him. He offers it, which probably made it even worse for him later. I mean, he ends up taking his life. We find that in the book of Acts. Horrible end to that story. Where when he realizes what's going on and realizes maybe I was pushing something that I should have let God do his thing, it hurt, it broke broke his heart, messed with his mind. A friend. The, the writers of, of John's Gospel and Luke's Gospel, those writers tell us that they saw, at least the disciples saw, the, the work of Satan behind some of Judas's actions. And I, I can see that. Even in the dark days that led up to him taking his own life. 30 pieces of silver. So, why do you think Matthew put all these Bits and pieces together for us today. Why all of these, why are they put together like this for us? I mean, you have Judas leaving right after this extravagant gift by the gal. Mary, probably. Did that just frustrate Judas? Like Jesus, he's constantly not doing it the way we want to do it. So I'm going to go force his hand. Was that the motive there? Interesting that Matthew puts them right next to each other. They're frustrated at all the extravagance, and maybe it's just one more thing. They're like, he's not being very Messiah-like, but we're going to force his hand. So much humanity involved in this. You see, Judas wanted his will, not God's will. And within just hours from this, Jesus will labor in prayer by himself in a garden right before Judas does his betraying work. And he will pray earnestly, hardest he's ever prayed, God, if there's any other way that humanity can be saved, if there's any other way, the the price doesn't have to be paid in this way, if there's any other way, but not my will, but yours be done. Judas wanted his will. And we, in this room, we want to trust our will. We want to do it our way. We want to push God Maybe you're needing healing right now. Maybe you're needing finances. Maybe you're needing needing something, and God's not moving fast enough for you. And we don't want to wait. We want to push. And we got to realize it's not about our will. It's about God's will and his timing. What if the healing hasn't happened? What if the finances haven't happened, and you've been praying about it for a while, and you want to force his hand? We sang that song years ago, Jesus Take the Wheel. But what we often do, I think, is we're like, we got this, God. Why don't you go ahead and sit in the passenger seat? I got this. We want our will. But if we're to take anything from this today, our will ain't going to cut it. It's God's will. What are you praying for this week? What are you pushing on? What are you not waiting for God to do? Let's endeavor together today. This is the last thing we do today is that we endeavor to put God's will over our will. God's will over my will. Let's not try to pull a Judas in this sense. Not just the betrayal, but the fact that you're pushing on God maybe faster than he's wanting to go. Trust in God's will, not ours. His will, not our way. Imagine all of us being willing put God's will in front of ours with regard to how we navigate life. Uh, yeah, every day we're saying, your will, not my will. What if we could be like that? God's will over my will. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We recognize that you have a plan. You have, you have all this. You see all of this going on. And Father, I pray that you would help us to stop kicking you out of the driver's seat, to stop uh, trying to manipulate you in some way, that, Father, we would submit, surrender, yield to your will over our will. We wouldn't try to push you in in some ways into areas that we, we think we got, but we don't. Father, your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as in heaven. Father, help us to operate in that way. And, Lord, I pray that you would empower us to let your will work through our lives in our hands and feet, in every sphere of influence that you put us in. Lord, we submit your will, not our will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.